everybody welcome back to the retro futures culture today we're going to be talking about some japanese anime a classic vampire hunter d bloodlust a 2000 dark fantasy vampire adventure anime produced by madhouse studio film link international bmg japan movic goodhill vision and soft capital that's a lot of companies <laughs> was written directed and storyboarded by yoshiaki kawajiri with yutaka minowa Designing the characters, Yuji Ikehata serving as art director and designing the setting. Music by Marco D'Ambrosio, who also did the music for the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVA, for you geeks out there. Uh, the film is based on the third novel. This is a series of novels in Japan, Vampire Hunter D, written by Hideyuki Kikuchi. And the third novel was called Demon Death Chase. Um, <clears throat> production started in '97. And it was it was designed for the American audience because the '85 anime OVA did really well over here. Um, but more than that, with us today, I have a very special guest. I have the man, the myth, the legend, Keeltrocity from Ruminations of Red Rum, the best horror podcast you need to listen to on Ruminations Radio Network. Right here with me today. How are you doing, Keel? I'm doing good. Thank you for the kind words. The legend, huh? That's a that's, that's something to live up to. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm glad to be on this episode. This is easily one of my favorite movies. I I watch it all the time. Um, I have like a yearly watch of this film, and uh, ever since I saw it back when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm just excited to talk about it. Well, let's let's go into that right there. So let's. I was going to come into like what what was the first time you saw this? How did you see it? Like what was? How did you come across Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust? Like, give me the breakdown of how it entered into your consciousness. Yeah. So I mean, I was a pretty big like Hollywood video kid more than Blockbuster, but I went to Blockbuster. Dude, I, I missed ho- I miss Hollywood video. That place was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was like in between you had Blockbuster that was like obviously super corporate. And then you have like the mom and pop video stores like like we have here in Arizona, Casa Video. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood Video was kind of in between that. They were trying to stay cool like a mom and pop, but they were obviously, you know, kind of a corporate place. But they did carry more stuff than Blockbuster did as yes. far as like alternative stuff. So that yeah, that was the first place you saw it? Yeah, yeah. So like and and just to your point, Hollywood video did kind of seem like where like the cool kids worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> like uh and you would sit there and just kind of banter with them and talk with them about um uh, movies and stuff. Whereas I don't think Blockbuster really hired people like that. So I agree with you on that. But uh yeah, um I I first was just perusing the uh anime section at hollywood video and i saw this there and at the time the case was just uh like the image of the like the cross like the like the black case with the cross on it and uh i was really into vampires at the time i mean i was coming off of things like uh super castlevania or castlevania 4 i think it is and uh castlevania symphony of the night and like I was really into those games, and like it looked like based on like the images on the back of the box, it had that like aesthetic, that art style, mm-hmm. and I was immediately drawn to it. And it was in like um, 
like the starting stages of my anime journey. So I rented it, took it home, and yeah, I just fell in love with it immediately. I thought everything, like the art was just fantastic. The music was, was it, it gave me chills. I loved the music and the soundtrack in this film and uh, just everything about it. And I thought D was such a cool character. Yeah, he he's amazing, and, and you brought up you know the Castlevania series, and uh, it's pretty obvious that Alucard is based entirely on Vampire Hunter D. Yeah, it's, like a hundred percent. It's not it even that it's way. It's right? not even contested. No, it's not even contested. Okay, like, cannot yeah. the people that come like, yeah, we totally stole that because Vampire Hunter D in Japan is pretty big as far as a uh, cultural milestone. It's a, it's a you know. Um, Let's see. I got started a little before you on that. Uh, I grew up, you know, during the golden age of of anime making its way to the U.S. and some some mostly and mostly censored ways on TV with Robotech and G Force and Transor Z. And later on, uh, Carl Masick, who was one of the guys who helped create Robotech, combining three Japanese shows into one long show for syndication reasons. You can listen all about that on RFC episode about Robotech. Anyway, he created a company called Streamline Pictures with the goal of importing anime movies to the United States and getting theatrical distribution and just bringing more awareness to anime in the West. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the first releases they released over here was the original 1985 Vampire Hunter D anime, um, which was directed by Tuyo Ishida, who also did Fist and North Star anime, which Streamline brought over too. And... um, I I loved that when I first saw it. I was like, "This is so cool!" And um, I hadn't even played Castlevania yet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. <laughs> Maybe I might have played the NES one, the first one, by the time I saw this. Gotcha. Um, and then later on, um, when they when I first heard word of Bloodlust and I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh man, I gotta see that!" And I was not as blown away by it as I thought I was going to be. I don't know why I I initially hesitantly liked it i I wasn't sure there was something i didn't like about it compared to the original one and then maybe i was just so attached to that original ova uh over the years though now i love it and uh every time i watch it i see something i like better i think for me i think i liked the english voice actor for d Mm -hmm. in the original um Streamline Pictures version that they released, and that might have been. You know how you get attached to a certain care, like an actor or something. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. When they, when they recast him, you're like, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But but now I love it, and on rewatching it, I like it more and more. Um, and I I wish they would do the whole series or or more. There's a rumor, oh, and I would kill a, for another one. There's a rumor for a series or a series that was in production and. We'll see if that ever gets out. Yeah, I but, um, I watched the like the original, the eighty or the eighty five one, right? It's mm-hmm. it's eighty five. Yeah, I watched that one years and years and years later. For a long time, I I didn't even know there was an original one because uh, when this one came out, I was only twelve, so I was pretty young yeah. and I didn't have like um, a lot of accessibility to to a lot of films. The, there was there was really only one little anime shop in uh the park place or not the park place mall i'm sorry the tyler mall in in where i grew up in california and uh everything was just so like like there wasn't a huge library there wasn't a lot to choose from so it was really just like the new releases that would come out and uh 
yeah, no, I just remember immediately buying it as soon as I rented it. Um, and this was at the time where I was like starting to get into anime. So I was watching like Helsing, Cowboy Bebop, uh, Dot Hack Sign, um, a little bit later, like Samurai Champloo. And I was really into like Toonami and watching it on Cartoon Network at night. And so that was like my my little golden age of anime. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, I was just getting into it. That was all it, good stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, there are gatekeepers for everything, and I was never a gatekeeper for anime. Like, I never shunned anybody that saw it first because they caught it on Adult Swim or Cartoon Network or whatever. I was like, that is fucking awesome. Just more people watch anime. That's great. Yeah. Um, I know that it went out of print. The 85 one went out of print for a while after Streamline pictures folded, and then it got picked up again. There's two different English dubs now. Uh, I still love that Streamline one, probably more for nostalgia's sake than anything else. Mm-hmm. But at the series itself, I think it's really cool. It was a great idea. And it obviously inspired a ton of stuff. Like you just mentioned Helsing. I'm pretty sure Helsing was also inspired by the Vampire Hunter D books, the Castlevania games. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the original um, original trilogy, even maybe the fourth one. But definitely by the time of Symphony of the Night, they fully embraced the Vampire Hunter D kind of mythos yeah. and put it in their games. Um, the uh, the movie, the 2000-2001 Bloodlust movie um, was directed by, uh, like I said earlier, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who also did Wicked City and Ninja Scrolls. So if, and immediately when you start watching it, you're like, oh, his style is very very much works in the action horror genre i love it yeah. um yeah and shout out to uh wicked city we actually did a episode on that on ruminations of red room our now our podcast the, the anime one or the live because didn't they do a live action one later i believe so but we did it on the anime oh shit yeah. man yeah I didn't get a phone call for that. <laughs> I didn't know at the time that you, you would have been interested, but yeah, we would have had you on. And uh, yeah, we did an episode on Wicked City. It's out. Like you could listen to it. So nice. If if you guys are a fan of that, you guys could check that out if you want. That's awesome. All right. So getting into the story, Vampire Hunter D Bloodless. Spoilers ahoy, people. We're going to talk about the film, break down some scenes, talk about our favorite things and just have a good time. Um, the opening of the movie is is amazing, right? Middle of the night, Charlotte Elborn, a young human woman, is abducted by Baron Meyer Link. And there's a scene of this like carriage with these horses in this foggy town. And it looks like something out of Jack the Ripper. It's really cool. He's a vampire nobleman. Um, and then she's taken. It was a very cool scene. There's There's that really cool shot where... Um, you know, because you can't see vampires in a mirror where he picks up her body and all you see in the mirror is her body floating in the air because so cool. he's a vampire. Yeah, there's just little things like that. I love just leading up to that, too. As the carriage is passing through the town, the crosses are bending and the water is freezing yeah. and the lights are turning off. It's and just dogs it, and everything are growling. They're like, what is this? So cool. Yeah, they 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 build that up really well. She's kidnapped, and the next scene we see is almost like a Western. Um, we see D kind of riding up on a horse, and it's very much like a classic, almost like a Clint Eastwood pale rider or something. He's mm-hmm. wearing this big hat, big cloak. 
He's riding up on a horse um, into this area where a bunch of men with rifles are hiding in the background. And and it's Charlotte's father, John, who hires Dee to come and rescue her. And originally, you know, Dee says, that's not enough money. And he gives him more. And um, he says, I've hired the Marcus brothers. And they might be ahead of you. And uh, so it sets us up for 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 a pretty cool adventure because we don't know who the Marcus brothers are. Yeah, right? I not yet. I love how how composed he is all the time too. Like and and like how aware of his surroundings. Like they're all trying to hide and stuff, but he knows they're all there. And uh, he just kind of goes into any situation just knowing that he he's not really in danger, but. They think they have control over the situation. I don't know. Yeah, he's. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that later. He he is a lot stronger than I think a lot of these people even realize. Mm-hmm. Is powerful wise. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, the the Marcus brothers. Uh, they have their leader Borgoff, who, uh, the hulking Nolt, who's played by John DiMaggio. I didn't know that <laughs> of Futurama and Gears of War fame. Oh, that's awesome! I actually didn't <laughs> yeah. know that. The Blade Master Kyle and the frail, physically bedridden Psychic Grove, and then a Layla, a woman who holds a grudge against vampires. Um, there's a really cool scene because you know they're. That we we meet the Marcus brothers are driving like this tank thing, mm-hmm. and they come up to this stop. It looks almost like a graveyard. There's trees and or like a station, like a train station, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like anyway, a small he, little town. He, yeah, he stops and he talks to this guy. He's like, "Hey, have you seen a carriage?" And the guy's like, "No." And then he he examines the guy, and there's fang marks on the neck, and obviously the guy was bit by the vampire and it's a whole like town full of zombie creatures that the vampire created. So then we see the Marcus brothers go to action fighting these guys. Do you think just out of curiosity, do you think that Meyer link is the one that, that kind of turned this town? Cause that's what you're led to believe, but there's also, I'm not sure. Yeah. There could have been, I mean, it's all kind of a setup mm-hmm. that we're going to get into, right? Yeah. Um, it could have been. It could have also been the Bobaroys right. could have done it, who Meyer Link has hired for security reasons. Yeah, not to um, get not to get too ahead and kind of derail us a little bit, but there's a scene later where. Uh, Charlotte and um, Layla are having a conversation and Layla's like, do you know how many people he's hurt? And Charlotte yells like, none. So like, I feel like that if she was with him at the time that Meyer turned this town, like she would have known about it. Or maybe she was just being, yeah. I don't know. I mean, but, that's what I mean. I, I, It seems almost like Meyer has really fallen for this human woman that he's taken, mm-hmm. but I mean, who can really trust a vampire? Right. Can you trust a vampire? I don't think I can, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in this scene here, after the Marcus brothers take care of all these like zombified, they're like, they're not quite vampires, but they're like people that have been bitten and they're just used as cannon fodder. 
the Marcus brothers take them all out. And then um, Borgoff fires a crossbow or he fires his crossbow. He hears a, he hears a, a rider on a horse and he fires a crossbow. And then we get this amazing epic scene, uh, very well animated. And he fires it because he can kind of almost like uh, the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy, he kind of curve his arrows a little bit. And he curves it, but this hand catches up and catches the arrow, and it's Vampire Hunter D on his horse. And that's when the Marcus brothers realize that they that D is also after Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they head. They're all heading in the same direction. And that's to where the Barbaroi are, who are like this crazy circus mutant freak gang yeah <laughs> of people the people um, of the night the people of the night a, a side note I, I should have set this up a little bit better the world that this takes place in is our world but in like 5000 years and vampires have come out of hiding to become the dominant sort of species mankind kind of lives almost backwards into the not quite the stone age but we're living in like the, pre-industrial yeah a yeah. little bit it's almost like a futuristic western kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah the vampires have all the money and all the power um but there's a new class of hunters that are hunting down the vampires to help the humans survive and it definitely sets it up it sets it up for fun storytelling that's what i love about a lot of these alternate timeline stories that fit into my theme here at RFC is that, that it fits the storytelling so we can tell a fun story without having to worry about, well, couldn't you just use this kind of weapon or that kind of weapon? Yeah, not anymore. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Meyer has hired the Barbaroi who are these kind of like, they're like the circus freak side, side show. Um, Another interesting note is the uh, main Barbaroi, the little old man on the unicycle. He's voiced by Dwight Schultz, who was Murdoch in the original A-Team TV series. So just let that sink in, all of you listeners out there, which is some crazy stuff. (laughs) I watched the behind the scenes because I have the Blu-ray for Bloodlust. Yeah. Um, And I was like, get the fuck out. That's fucking Murdoch from the (laughs) A-Team. Yeah, I had no idea either. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a trip. Um, but they have a shapeshifter, Caroline, the shadow manipulator, Bengay, and the werewolf, Makara. Um, yeah, the character Nolt, designs of the Barbaroi yeah. are just so cool. And the character designs of like everything in this are pretty awesome. Yeah. And super well animated. Very, I mean, Madhouse at the time was the anime studio that everybody was freaking out about. Like they were working on so many things and hitting, they were firing on all cylinders. Um, this was like the last of the peak of hand-drawn anime in Japan before they started to go mostly into computer, yeah. like using computers for more stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's a showcase of how well hand-drawn animation with really good character design you know, really good music. The whole film just is just amazing in that aspect. Um, so yeah, the Barbaroi are really creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the Marcus 
brother's team, Nolt is killed right away by the shadow guy, Benge, who hides in the shadows. And they're like, don't, don't go in the shadows. And sure enough. Really cool, um, really cool ability too. Like, right. I, I like how they played with it a little bit more later on, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, I thought that was a really cool, like, uh, character kind of design, power usage kind of thing. It's cool. Yeah. The, uh, the It was also a little bit like, I don't know if, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure Ninja Scroll was made before Vampire Hunter D, but there's a character that had a similar sort of capability in Ninja Scroll. So I feel, I feel like the the influence from the director and the character designer it was something that they tried before and worked. So they thought, ah, let's do that again. Having a guy that can hide in the shadows. Um, so uh, while the brothers are fighting the Barbaroi, Diaz also knows that that's where the Barbaroi, the Barbaroi are hiding Meyer because nobody wants to challenge the Barbaroi. Who would be crazy enough to do it other than D. the Marcus brothers and then D himself? Um, and D, like you said earlier, like he is just so confident. He literally gets off his horse. He walks right in and he basically tells the Barbaro, he's like, yeah, I'm here to get the girl and, um, I'm going to leave <laughs> the lead Barbaro guy's like, uh, no, you're crazy. And the lead Barbaro guy is kind of a creeper too. He's like, also you're beautiful. And yeah, D's like, yeah. uh, what? <laughs> I think, I think the, uh, the lead Barbaro, he can kind of like admire like like he kind of sees the like the creature side, the vampire side of of D, and I think he kind of like not he's kind of mem- he's mesmerized by it. He like appreciates it, like that he's almost like welcome there in half a sense, but not really. I think yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. And the Marcus brothers, um, they have Grove, who seems like a really sickly guy, and it almost seems like. He has to shoot up this concoction that is like heroin or morphine, and then all of a sudden he can like turn into this crazy psychic ghost version of himself, and that causes a huge distraction with the Barbaroi, and then that allows D to work his magic. Um, I kind of like how they don't explain the fact that he's just like a uh, dying specter, <laughs> like he could like yeah. kind of project himself, like you. Because they never explain it, so you're kind of just wondering what he is. But it's almost like on the brink of death, he could like project his spirit out and like use it as a weapon. And I think that's like a really, really cool like character design. Yeah, because he's obviously his physical body is very frail and weak, and he can't even leave the vehicle. Right. He's constantly just coughing in there, being real sick, worrying about later, like, oh, what are you gonna do? Oh, is that that D guy? Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, but when he takes his concoction, whatever it is, all of a sudden he's very powerful and, and it causes havoc and they're able to um, stop the Barbaroi for the most part. And um, D ends up getting captured by the shadow creature, but then escapes and the Marcus brothers end up killing Benge, the shadow creature. And then they get to a nearby town, and D is um, trying to get another horse from a man in a stable. It's, and this is a cool little. This is little, one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, this is a really cool part. So he's trying to buy his horse, and then 
Layla, Layla has told the sheriff about it, and the sheriff comes to stop D. And the man who's selling the horse is like, "You don't understand this. This vampire hunter saved me when I was a little boy from vampires." Um, you know, and and this old man kind of helps D. He fights he fights off the sheriff so that D can get the horse to chase after Meyer again. Yeah, and uh, I think this scene is really important because it's. In a way, like if you're watching this as a standalone film and you know nothing else about the lore of Vampire Hunter D, I think it kind of adds a lot of like um, a lot to think about knowing that there's like he's been doing this for a long time, right? There's a lot of adventures that you don't know about that he's gone through, and that's just happens to be one of them. And I think it's just really cool how it's explained. And then also, I you just feel for D a little bit too, like it kind of humanizes him in the sense that like he could be hated even though he helped so many people and just because he's different, you know, even though he's a good person, like he's hated just because of, of who he is, even though, you know, he's done good. So, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't trust somebody who is a damn peer, which is a half human, half vampire any more than they trust the vampires themselves. Right. Um, which could also be an analogy for like somebody who's of mixed race. Exactly. Background, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and and it also gives you an insight into like all the adventures that D might have had yep. before this, exactly, and, and why he's so confident in his experience, and why he has no qualms about what he's doing. Like you said earlier, his confidence is like unparalleled. He's never unsure of himself. He is always just like. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's kind of like the Boba Fett effect, where before we knew really a lot about him, you know he's a badass, and you know he's probably gone through a bunch of shit, but you don't know what exactly, right? And so, like, you kind of got a glimpse into D's past a little bit by this man's telling, you know, his the, like the retelling of the story. I just, I don't know, I liked it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um. So at this point, Meyer's carriage stops to rest during the daytime, and Charlotte wanders out. And the the last couple Barbaro that are guarding the carriage are like, "Hey, what is going on?" And Meyer's like, "Oh, let her let her go in the sun. She misses the sun." And uh, D and Layla are there, and they end up fighting Caroline, who's the shape shifting Barbaroi who can turn to like. Whatever she turns into trees, rock, stone. She has a very crazy power. Um, and the uh, werewolf escapes with the carriage. D defeats Caroline in a battle, but he's forced to seek shelter because he's been in the sun too long. And and a little side note: um, D has a humongulus, which is a living creature grafted into his hand who he calls left hand which is an obvious reference to an old cult called the left hand black but he has the left hand and it's a sentient creature itself that has magical powers and the the left hand talks to d all the time and tells him hey idiot what were you doing taking in this much sun do you remember what happened last time and um, the left hand has his own like special powers and can help D. 
Yeah. And it's a very, uh, yeah. they never quite explain mm-hmm. how or why this happens. <laughs> like, yeah. Why does he have this thing? How does he, in either of the anime movies, I've heard in the books, there's sort of an explanation of where he got the hand, but they didn't, they don't even go into too much detail then. Cause I did look into it. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I would be very curious to know. I've always kind of been curious, but at the same time, I'm always just like, yeah, it's just part of him. But uh, no, I think this character's, hilarious i think he you know he's obviously the comic relief and i think it's smart to add him like as a part of d because it then it almost makes them one and it kind of gives him like more like more character more personality and i I think what the original writer did is he needed somebody for d to talk to to bounce narrative off of yeah Right. Yeah. And so he created this creature so that D has somebody like, you know, to base his almost morality off of. And an interesting side note, the main reason this is a this is a crazy bit of trivia here. The main reason we got the second anime movie was the guy that voiced the left hand in the original anime was doing anime conventions and ran into some of the original producers of the 85 anime. And he's like, why haven't we done another one? I would do the voice again. And that kind of got the ball rolling for the second anime movie to be made. Okay. Is that's fucking nuts, right? The guy that played D's left hand for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Yeah. And on that side note, we're going to take a quick break from this episode of RFC talking about Vampire Hunter D Bloodless. Please check out these other shows coming up on Ruminations Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the RFC. We are breaking down Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. I have the amazing, the illustrious, the mythic Keeltrocity from Ruminations of Red Rum talking about Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust right here on Retro Futures Culture. Welcome back. All right, Keel, we were talking about the left hand and... Vampire Hunter D still trying to save Charlotte from the evil vampire Meyer. Mm-hmm. Yes, I called him evil. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there in the daytime, D has heat syndrome. Um, They're still f- trying to fight the Barbaroi. Layla is facing a revived Caroline and survives only... By chance, is it by chance? Because this giant lightning bolt hits Caroline because she's taken the form of a giant tree. I don't know. That that scene is interesting to me. Like, did was that chance? Did D make that happen? Was that just I always a higher power? So what I always thought it was growing up was that so first of all, the animation of her being dragged up the tree is awesome. By the mm-hmm. vine, but I always pegged it to they're at the very highest point of the tree, and when she throws the knife in the tree, the electricity is brought to the metal knife, right? And that's what kind of causes it. That's what, okay. I, yeah, that's what I've always thought, but who knows, man? I like your explanation because I, on my recent rewatch, I was like, really, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So the lightning strikes and it kills Caroline instantly, like literally disintegrates her. Um, Layla takes shelter with Dee and reveals that a vampire back in her childhood kidnapped her mother. This resulted in her being stoned to death by the people of her hometown when she returned as a completely different person and killed her father. Layla then ended up joining the Marcus brothers to avenge her parents' death. The two make a pact to visit each other's graves upon who dies first. That's between Dee and Layla. That comes into the film later. Love that. Yeah. Um, this scene's pretty great. Next, the Marcus brothers end up trapping Meyer's carriage on a bridge by bombing it and uh, they place bombs underneath the bridge and carjacking Charlotte um, however, the trap is foiled because Makara, who's the werewolf, can see the bombs. He comes out and kind of fakes his death because the bridge is over a giant, like, river-based ravine. He falls in the water. While they're trying to figure out what's going on, um, Meyer, like, comes out of the carriage in broad daylight and starts getting, like, baked to death which is some pretty cool animation. Very cool, yeah. Yeah, he's like literally on fire and almost trying to show everybody that, no, 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 he really is in love with Charlotte and he's not an evil vampire. We're not buying it. Hop's not buying it, people. (laughs) Hop is not buying it. (laughs) Um, And... uh, um, After that, Makara comes back back out of the water and you know um what's his name the first marcus brother tries to set off the bombs but makara had taken the bombs and thrown them in the water so they're useless man kyle gets killed so quickly too yeah like it happens yeah. so sudden it's just like, how does that boom. make you feel i mean it hurts a little but you know <laughs> there can only be one kyle so i had to survive <laughs> Um, and then uh, Borgoff falls off the bridge, but surviving, he loses an eye. Meyer and Charlotte reach the castle of Shaith, where the Countess Camilla Elizabeth Bathory awaits them. And now here's where we get into the real brunt of the plot of the film. Meanwhile, Makara stays behind to fight D, but D like basically wrecks him. But it's kind of cool because he kills him, and Makara's like. I've always wanted to meet you. I've heard so many legendary stories. At least I died from the amazing vampire hunter D like he basically has this very, and this is very much a Japanese culture thing. He very much very very samurai about, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) about how he's always wanted to die by the noble warrior. (laughs) Exactly. Um, it is then revealed that Meyer and, Sh- and Charlotte had reached out to the Countess, hoping they could fly to the City of the Night, a vampire refuge located in space. So now we've got sci-fi in here, too. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and, and, and there's this rocket ship, supposedly, that they can get to this vampire city in space that, that uh, the Countess has here. here. Here's the question I always had, though is this city of the night where all these vampires can take refuge and stuff. What do they feed on? Right. What do they feed on? Like, do they, I mean, who knows? They might have like little, like, like they could harvest humans or something, or maybe they grow them, do something like really like crazy. It is like sci-fi, but I was always 
curious as to like how they stay alive and how they feed up there. That's what, and and that's one of the things that I, that a lot of really fun, good films do is they have these little details. They don't explain them, mm-hmm. but you're constantly thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Like the original Sergio Leone westerns with Clint Eastwood, fistful of dollars, few dollars more, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We never get the backstories of any of those guys. Yeah, and that's what makes them interesting. I know, man. Almost when you. Like if we got the full backstory of Vampire Hunter D, it might not make it. I would want it. I wouldn't want it. That's it. It's. I think that would ruin the character. It's one of the reasons why, to this day, I have still not seen Solo, even though I know people like it. I don't want to. I don't need to know any more about Han Solo. Like I. Like I don't want to know. Like I. Just, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that. Um. You don't need to, but it was actually pretty cool. I've heard it's and good. pretty good, and they don't like reveal everything. There's still a little mystery there, okay. so it it works out. And there's a and the mystery is enough that it's fun. But sidetrack done. They did a good <laughs> job with that because they didn't reveal everything. We don't get like Han Solo from birth to whatever. Right. It's, you know. Um. It's more like how did he become go from being just this punk smuggler kid to the Han Solo we meet in episode four. Right. That's kind of what they did. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the second time I've derailed this now. My bad. No, man, that's great. I love it. And that's what I mean. Sometimes it can be done well, and sometimes it's not so well. Like, Right. Um, We'll get into that. Uh, let's see. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, however, can... Carmilla betrays the couple. She, yeah, when you first watch this movie, this seems pretty crazy because all of a sudden she kills Meyer and you're like, wait, who the fuck did that? And then it reveals it's her and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And then she bites Charlotte. She uses hallucinations to haunt D, but D, as we know, is a lot more powerful than he leads on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love how she's using their fears and insecurities. They're each having like their own internal battle. Their her. own crazy hallucinations. Yeah. yeah. Dia is pretty much unaffected. He saves Layla. Um Borgoff is tricked and then turned into a vampire. That scene kind of sucks. You're like, no. Yeah, that was a bummer. <laughs> that was a bummer. And at the very end, again, Grove, he's the glass cannon of this group. He is your level like three wizard if you were playing original D&D that <laughs> all of a sudden manifests magic missile at the right time. Yeah. He comes back with his ghostly form on his deathbed, saves Layla by blowing up the vampiric Borgoff, and then dies as a result. And that's uh, that's a worthy death for that character. He, you know... He died saving Layla because he always wanted to protect her. I think he was in love with her, but his body was so weak and frail that he could never like do anything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 D then confronts Carmilla and is able to destroy her spirit. Um, and this part, this is where we get a little tiny bit of backstory on Vampire Hunter D that was also kind of hinted at in the original '85 movie. That not only is D a half vampire, he is the half vampire as hinted in both of these films he's he is dracula's half vampire son that's why alucard i said earlier that alucard is definitely a complete ripoff of vampire hunter d yeah and that's also why d is so powerful compared to some of these other vampires um the great ancestor is is dracula himself where all these vampires came from um 
Carmilla seems so hypocritical too. Like at this point, she's like, she's like, you know, your, your human self is your weaker self. Why are you going against your own kind? And then she's sitting there trying to kill Meyer, trying to kill D trying to kill. It's like, all right, but go off, go off. Mm -hmm. She's your typical, like selfish, power hungry zealot. Um, during the fight, Charlotte dies from her wounds and her ring tossed to D and Meyer by Layla. The final battle ends after D spares Meyer's life once he gets the ring and he leaves the castle with Layla while taking Charlotte's ring as proof for her father and brother. Meyer uses the castle ship to depart to the city of the night um, with Charlotte's body. D and Layla look on with Layla. Wishing the vampire some success, which is strange because she really hates all vampires. But, and there's a really cool epilogue. Um, there's this great scene later in the movie. The years later, there's a funeral held for Layla because she was just human. There's a large crowd attending, and among the crowd is Layla's granddaughter. And you see D ride up on a horse in the background. He's keeping his distance because he knows that he's not quite wanted with the human still this is probably like 50 years later i know it's so um, this scene always gets me man yeah it's really cool tugs at my heartstrings and the granddaughter recognizes him she says hey wait wait i know you you're my grandmother talked about you all the time you're d and he says i just came so that she knew somebody would be there to see her you know pass away um, D reveals he's glad that Layla was wrong about nobody being at her funeral because her whole family's there, and he leaves contently. And that it's very much a western. Yes, it's, it's rides a off into the sunset. <laughs> vampire western. Yeah, it very much ends like a lot of the the great westerns that that we got in the sixties and seventies. Um, so yeah, that's a it's a really fun anime and like i said it's very much like a western and i I feel like they could do a live action version really well if they wanted to i feel like they could too i almost just want them to keep doing hand-drawn animation though like i would love well well, i mean you know if i had my perfect world i i would love a sequel to this but a live action man that would be wild if they got the right person to do it that would be really cool I almost okay. This is the first thing that popped in my head, and I know he's played a vampire before, but I feel like Robert Pattinson could play D if they did a live action movie. You think so? I don't yeah, know. I'm trying to. Think. No, I, I mean he could. I just can't picture him with like the long hair. Like that oh. would just that would throw me off. I think, but I think he could pull it off. I mean, he's got that like straight face, you know, brutish kind of. I mean, I, with Batman, it's it's almost he is D in in the new Batman movie, just without the hair. So, all right, I haven't watched that yet. Um, and I forgot to mention earlier that the original character designer, the original artist that did the book covers, and that a lot of the art is based on is Yoshitaka Mano, who's the same artist who is famous for. Oh, come on, Keel. You know this. You play all these games. You just played the 16th game in the series. Final Fantasy? Yes. Oh, actually, that Yoshitaka makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, now, I love um, that art. He, he also did the character designs for 
for G-Force, Gotcha Man slash Battle of the Planets, oh. and one of my favorite Japanese anime series of all time, which was integrated into Robotech Genesis Climber Moss Beta. Okay. I got to meet Yoshitaka Amano at San Diego Comic-Con like 2008 or 2009, Collected. and I got him to sign some stuff. And he was blown away because I brought this old Moss Beta art book and he went, oh, and he talked to his assistant. He doesn't speak English, right, he spoke right. Japanese. And she's like, he wonders how you even know about these old shows that he did many years ago. And he signed them all, and he, and, uh, he did a little quick little sketch for me in my sketchbook. And Dude, that's awesome. Cool, yeah, he was the coolest guy. I love his art. Um, I'm glad that he's been able to influence so many people. And obviously he influenced Ayame, who's the artist who does the newer Castlevania games because her art is very much in line with his art that, that they've used over the years. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. So, I mean, the main reason I wanted to talk about Vampire Hunter D was it's, it's just a huge influence worldwide not just on anime but on games on live action like there's so many things yes it's original inspiration is probably the original bram stoker's book right yeah but it took it and spun it into a new sci-fi direction that's that's inspired many more people and that's just that's the best thing about art yeah, and I, that it inspires. I think that's why I love this movie so much is because i i watched it at such like a like important time in my life like age where i was like it's interesting because you saw bloodlust at that age i saw the original one right yeah so this is this is my nostalgia (laughs) bloodlust is my nostalgia and right um this literally shaped all of like so many of my interests going forward like what I was into with like the strong silent you know protagonist and the just like the way the storytelling works and getting into Westerns and seeing the influences, like you said, across all forms of media, like it all kind of started here with Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust for me. And it's just going to always have a special place in my heart. I just love it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I, like I said, I originally had seen the original one and it took me a while to warm up to this one, but the more I've watched it, the more I'm like, man, this is really good. I really hope we do get a series has been hinted for years. Um, They did such a good job recently with the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime series that if they could pull off that same level of quality with the Vampire Hunter D adaptation of the books, Mm. I would be in hog heaven. Yeah. I, uh, I've chased the high of watching new anime and trying to like get the same feeling and experiences as watching some of the 2000 stuff and and like stuff like Bloodlust yeah. and I just it's it it doesn't connect with me the same way and I just I'm, I I'm looking for I've it though. I had a hard time with some of the newer anime myself. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I I definitely can watch anything that was made in like the mid eighties up to around the early two thousands is like all like ageless to me. Like it's all just fucking amazing. Same. Like everything, everything from Robotech to Cowboy Bebop, I can watch all of that. And I'm like, Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Do you think that's a problem with us? Or do you think that's just, I don't know. Do you think sure. it's an indication of like, you should take a deeper poll. If you're yeah. listening to this podcast and you can explain it, shoot us an email or hit me up on Twitter 
at Futurist Retro. Shoot us an email at ruminationsradionetwork at gmail.com. Let us know why that golden era of anime is so good. Mm -hmm. Or I guess Silver Age, because the golden era would be the original anime era of the 50s and 60s, 70s. Silver Age, I think, would be like the mid-80s through the early 2000s era anime. Because I know I'm not alone. A lot of my other friends feel the same way. Like They watch the newer stuff, and it's almost too cutesy some of it i don't know yeah it really is and like even things like like one of my favorite animes of all time is the original run of uh record of lotus war oh yeah and i have ova one yeah yeah it's it's amazing and uh i have friends that like have tried to introduce me to newer anime that kind of compares to that and it just it just doesn't hit the same it it really doesn't like things like goblin slayer and stuff but like you said, it's very cutesy, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just it doesn't have that, you know. I saw a visual representation of like the character design art, and as it evolved, it definitely changed, and that's part of it for me. Like I prefer the more, for lack of a better word, like almost realistic character looks, like a Vampire Hunter D, Fist of the North Star, right. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I don't really like like i'm not really into the cutesy anime the bubbly look, like, big eyes yeah and the, like, yeah. like and, uh, and even if they are comedies like i just don't really like that art style as much it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me i don't i don't hate it i'm not trying to hate on it it's just not it just doesn't strike my fancy i feel exactly the same way like I feel like if you were telling Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust and the character designs were those cutesy characters, it would lose a lot of its dramatic effect. It would lose its soul, if we're being <laughs> honest. Like it would yeah, it would lose everything. So yeah, yeah, so all right, man. Well shit. This has been a good time, Keel. I'm glad you were able to come on and talk about this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, dude. I, I really appreciate you uh thinking of me when you wanted to do the episode. Yeah, well, we got to do another one here. So you think of something cool and we'll make it happen. Sounds like a plan. All right, man. You've been listening to the Retro Futurist Culture, a production of Ruminations Radio Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We'd love to connect with you on social media. You can hit me up on Twitter or X, whatever they're calling it, at Futurist Retro. (laughs) Visit RuminationsRadioNetwork.com for additional great shows, such as Ruminations of Red Rum with Keel here and his cohorts. We also have Oh God, It Hurts, Cinephile Hissy Fit, The Original Ruminations from the Red Room, Tony's Tall Tales, Brevity Box, so many fun shows. Support RRN at our patreon.com backslash Ruminations Radio. And for all of your burning questions and feedback, drop us an email, ruminationsradio at gmail.com. This is Hoptimus with the RFC. We're riding out into the sunset. Stay spooky, folks. (laughs) 